I asked the Lord this, uh, the Lord asked me to share something that's not again on the subject that I planned. This is becoming a reoccurring theme in my life. Um, I might as well just not plan anything. That's what I've decided uh, because it changes more often than, I, than it keeps, but that's okay. That's good. Uh, and I said, but Lord, if you keep, if you keep delaying the, the conclusion of this uh, intercession series, uh, we'll never get to it. And he reminded me, he said, uh, I don't want you to conclude it the way you're going to conclude it because I told you to sprinkle it throughout the year. When you sprinkle salt, not every square inch gets salt. It's sprinkled. That means some, some bits of food do, some bits of food don't. He said, I told you to sprinkle it throughout the year. So just be prepared to kind of, I'm, I'm very, uh, what is am I trying to say? Compartmentalize. So when I get, I want to get that done and then move on to the next. But he, he doesn't want it compartmentalized. He wants it to be kind of a flow. And so at different times, we're going to talk about intercession as the year passes, but at other times, we're going to talk about different things. And instead of me looking at it like the series has to come to an end, it will just kind of be an ongoing series at different times until the end of the year. So we're not talking about that this morning because he spoke to me to, to talk about something else this morning. And I believe it will be a blessing to you because when I was studying it, the Lord really encouraged me tremendously personally. In fact, I wasn't doing this for a sermon. I was just studying on my own. Pastors should just study on their own. Because I love the Bible and I love Jesus and not everything is about a sermon. But, but I was so blessed by it as I was studying on my own. The Lord said, now go ahead and preach that. That'll bless the people. If it's blessing you that much, it'll bless the people. And so I said, well, thank you, Lord. I didn't expect that. But, but this is a blessing. I'm, I'm happy to talk. We're going to talk today about the Lord is my shepherd. And I know that sounds simple. But, but I'm, if you open up your hearts and be hungry today, I can tell if you're hungry or if you're tired. Beep, 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 beep. I can tell if you're hungry or if you're tired. On live stream, I can't tell at all, so you're free. Because you didn't come, and you, and you should come. Anointing is not the same on live stream. It's not the same. Stop making, and I say it by the Spirit, stop making excuses. You're making excuses. Don't, you better stop doing that if you want the highest flow in your life. Anyway, uh, I said, I don't want to make anyone upset today, so I have to move right along, Jennifer. First Peter chapter 5, verse 4, if you'd be so kind, I want to talk to you about the Lord is my shepherd today, and, and I believe it will be a strength and an encouragement to you. Uh, I really do. Have a look at First Peter 5, 4. Are you there? Ready? Read. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, verse 1 to 3, he's talking about how pastors it's probably good for you to read, Pastor Happy, uh, but how pastors are to treat their congregation. I, I read this on a regular basis, Pastor Happy, maybe you should too. Uh, and I think you're doing everything that's in this, but just in case, you should read it often. I read it often because verses that are for pastors need to be read by pastors. Uh, but verse four, and I watch, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive, to all my pastors, a crown of glory that fadeth not away. <laughs> I'm gonna have a crown of glory. You ain't, but I am. No, I'm just kidding. You're going to have another crown, different crown, different crown. But mine is a crown of glory that faded not away because I had to put up with much for many years. 
But you're, you're a great congregation. I mean a great congregation. One pastor I met down in, in, in Gatlingburg this week was telling me about his congregation. And, and I, I won't say anything about it, but they were telling me about their congregation. And I must say, I left that congregation with tears in my eyes. What were the tears for? I was saying, Jesus, thank you for Promise of Life Church. I am so grateful for the congregation you've given me. I just think every congregation is as great as you. And then when I realize that it's not... And what some poor pastors go through, I feel like, my God, this is a, I am so blessed. So thank you for being a great congregation. Told you I was going to make you feel good today. Um, notice it says, when the chief shepherd shall appear. Chief shepherd. If there's a chief shepherd, who is that? Jesus is our chief shepherd. Which means if there's a chief, there has to be an under. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I give you gifts, and then he lists the pastor as one of the gifts. So that means he is the chief. What does shepherd mean? It, even in Spanish, it's the same word. Pastor is the word shepherd in Spanish. And it's the same in the Greek. Shepherd, pastor, they're interchangeable words. So when it says the chief shepherd, it means the chief pastor. The chief pastor shall appear. Because this one to three is talking about pastors. And he's saying, listen, you're an under pastor. This is how you should run things. But one day the chief pastor is showing up. And he's going to give you a special reward for being an under pastor. I'm only saying this to emphasize New Testament doctrine that there is Jesus as the main chief shepherd. But there are people with flesh on in the office or as a gift of an under shepherd or an under pastor. Are you understanding me? Now have a look at Jeremiah, please, if you look in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, and there's many verses. I'm only giving you one for sake of time. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15. As you look at verse 14, because uh, this is what, this is, <laughs> this is important. Turn, O backsliding children. So if you're a backslider, pay attention. <laughs> Says the Lord, for I am married unto you. God is married to the backslider. He loves them. Even though they're not doing everything right, he loves them. And I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Watch, and I will give you pastors. So what does the backsider need? A pastor. What does everybody need? A pastor. Jesus is our pastor. But he also gives you a physical person because he's not around in person all the time. But in your heart, he's the chief pastor. But there's also somebody that he wants you to submit to like him. That is a, because humility and submission is all about the kingdom of God. And that's why he gives you a pastor. And he tells us how to act in 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 3. Not to be proud, not to be hard, not to, to be an example, not to force people to do things. But to feed them and love them and protect them and guide them and discipline them, but not to control them. So it gives the past, the underpastor so that he'll act like Jesus. As much as possible. I'll give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you. So what's the main job of the pastor? To feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increased in the land, saith the Lord. Just stop there. because We don't need to read the rest. I'm emphasizing a simple point. People that are backslidden need pastors. People that are not backslidden so that they don't backslide need pastors. It's preventative. My job is preventative so you don't slide back. And if you are already slidden back, my job it helps you slide forward. Why? Because as a pastor to feed you after God's heart, not after their ambition, 
with the word, with knowledge and understanding. Why? So that you may be increased in the land. Notice it says there, and it shall come to pass when you be multiplied and increased. So when a pastor gets in your life, when Jesus gets in your life as the great pastor, and when the little pastor gets in your life as the person with flesh on, there is an increase and a multiplication. When Jesus comes in, there's automatically an increase and a multiplication because you change kingdoms and you're going to renew your mind. But you need that person with flesh on with an anointing and an office to help you go beyond just the basics, which Jesus gives you the basics, but now the pastor has to teach you on into the deeper things of God. Are you with me? God did not plan it so that it's you and Jesus only. He didn't. If he, otherwise, why he, if he did plan it that way, which he didn't, he wouldn't talk about giving you pastors. Old and New Testament. He wouldn't talk about, I leave the 99 faithful ones who show up to church. And I go after the backslider who's outside the protection of the fold. There's a divine authority that you don't understand in the spirit. When, you're, when you say, you're my pastor and I'm part of the church, you don't have to be perfect, but when that's your heart, you fall under an umbrella of protection whether you realize it or not. There is prayer being made by me and my wife, by the leaders and by the congregation, and it forms a protective screen. It, it, it provides an umbrella of safety and increase. Remember, it says you'll increase and multiply. When you're under that, whether you realize it or not, there's good things are going to start happening. If you say, but pastor, I've been under you for a while and nothing's good is happening. Who do you think's problem? The pastoral anointing is stronger today than it was a year ago. If you're not increasing, something's wrong with you. Because Hebrews says, Hebrews 13, 17 says, that I watch for your soul as one that must give an account, so therefore submit for your sake. You don't believe me. I can tell Reverend Deanne, don't believe me right now at all. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your soul as they that must give an account. I'm going to give an account for you. Watch. That they may do it, not giving an account. When I give an account, I'm in heaven. The thing's over. Okay, when it says that they may do it, it's talking about watching for your soul. That they may watch for your soul with joy and not grief, for that is unprofitable to you. You can profit from the office and multiply an increase or you don't have to profit. Are you listening? If you cause grief, you block yourself from the anointing producing increase and multiplication in your life. The office works for everybody from that perspective if the person has the right heart to receive. So if you're around and you're not increasing, if things aren't getting better for you over time, I don't mean overnight. This is not a get rich quick or get blessed quick. This is faithfulness that takes time. But if a year later, something's not better, you need to ask yourself, don't blame me because it's not, it's not on my side. I have a pastor. If I'm under her for a year and nothing's got better, I don't blame her. I look at me because that anointing is working. I'm the one that's not receiving it. I'm not profiting by it. Ask yourself, don't look at, don't blame somebody else. Don't blame your neighbor. Don't blame God. Don't blame the church. Don't blame the pastor. Don't blame the sheepfold. Don't blame Mr. Rain for the ministry of helps request that she gives you. Don't blame me because I asked you to tithe. Look at yourself and say, if I'm not increasing and multiplying in the land, then obviously I'm not profiting for that anointing. 
So why would I not profit from that anointing? Well, I obviously haven't submitted. Because it said obey and submit. Obey to them that rule and submit yourselves. So if you're causing grief, if you're causing trouble, if you're always opinionated and you've always got an attitude problem and you never show up and when people ask you to do something, it's always a... (sighs) And there's just, you're just a grind. You're not a flow. You're a grind in the local church. You're causing grief. That's why you're not profiting. That's why you don't, your life doesn't get better. But you can get into that flow. Well, Lord, give me a love for the local church. Give me a love for my pastor. Lord, I want, I want to want it. If I don't want it, help me want it. And you'll put it in you. And you start to flow. And you start to submit. And you start to flow. Not, not in a controlling, manipulative submission, but a submission to Jesus, the chief shepherd. And to the vision that Jesus gave the under shepherd. And you just get in line. You know your place and rank. And you don't fight it all the time. You flow. Jesus said to Paul, don't kick against the pricks. I'm, 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 I'm pricking you. You're getting out. You're rebellious. And there's a prick of your conscience. And I'm disciplining you. But you keep pushing against those pricks, Paul. You're not going to succeed by being rebellious, Paul. Get in the flow. Submit to me as the chief. Submit to your calling as an apostle. And life will be good. Paul got it. And his life was good. But for a while, he was kicking against it. You want some increase in prosperity? You want favor? You want these things? You can't just claim it in a vacuum because they are connected. Get in the flow of the local church and submit yourselves and humble yourselves and be willing to serve and give and lift your hands and don't cause trouble. People that cause trouble don't get blessed. People that withstood Moses, the snake showed up. Don't withstand what God is doing with your little chit-chat over your lunch with your wife where you think that nobody can hear you, but God hears you. Don't be a, a post that is blocking the flow. Go with the flow. Oh, and then you'll profit, you'll profit, you'll profit. I give you pastors so they'll feed you so that you'll profit. I want you to profit. I want you to increase in the land and multiply yourselves. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're not, I don't know if the Holy Ghost keeps saying it. If you're not increasing, look at your heart. Something is wrong. Either you're not living clean or you're not, or you're not resubmitting properly to the flow of the local church or you're not in faith. Watch your mouth. (laughs) I, 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 this is not my sermon, but God has been saying to me a lot lately. Everything that comes from that trap door, everything that you say, filter. That is harder than you think. Because if you record yourself, you will be shocked at what comes out of your mouth. You didn't even mean it, but it comes out because really you haven't renewed your mind to filter your words. And God has been dealing with me personally a lot about that. You say stuff, son, you don't mean it. But you say stuff too often that is going cross threads with my plan. Come on, Pastor. And you better watch what you say because your words have power and weight in the spirit and you will eventually have what you say. So watch your words. There's many reasons why you may not prosper. It's not only this reason, but we emphasize the love walk and the giving and the this. We emphasize them, but sometimes you need to be reminded you might be doing all of that. But if you're withstanding the flow in the pastor in your heart, if you're complaining over lunch, if you're spreading gossip and rumors and lies, if in your heart you're hard, 
you're not, you're not, it's not going to work for you. No matter how much you confess, it's not going to work for you. Do you understand? Because you need more than one ingredient to make the pie work. You need right ingredients in the right quantities. It's not just one, it's multiple. So he wants, he gives you an under shepherd. He wants you to be fed by that under shepherd, 1 Peter 5. He gives you a, a, a pastor, an under shepherd, Jeremiah 3.15, to feed you. If you're, if you're in the wrong place, to speed you up. And if you're in the right place, not to let you fall back. Do you understand? I do both things. I speed people up and I prevent them from falling back. That, that anointing, that office, because your heart is submitted to it. That anointing will help you. Why? So you can prosper and multiply in the land. That's what God's after. He wants people to have a good life. Ephesians 2.10, the good life I've got planned for you and made ready for you to live. I don't want you to have a miserable life. I want you to like your job. If you don't like your job, I'll give you another job that you like. I just want you to be happy. I want you to be healthy. I don't want you to be on drugs all the time. Barely can get out of your bed. Everything's painful and sore all the time. I don't want your mind to be tormented. I want it to be clear, your body strong, your pocketbook full, loving the plan of God, obeying the call of God. So when you get to heaven, you look up and you say, Jesus, I wasn't perfect, but I did pretty darn good, didn't I, Lord? Don't get that religious thing now that you're not going to say the word darn. I just might. Jesus ain't religious. We're not cussing. We're just using euphemisms. Praise God. Jesus, I did, I did my best. <laughs> and I had a good life. Yeah. I, I can say, Jenny, we've had tests and trials. But we have had, so far, a pretty good life. We've had tests and trials. Some stronger than you all. But tests and trials don't define me. The goodness of God defines me. I don't look at the darkness. I look at the brightness. Praise God. A Yedipo in Nigeria, the largest church in Africa, they said, wow, you must have gone through a lot of tests and trials to get to where you are. And you can imagine how the devil would attack somebody like that. And he said, I haven't really noticed. I haven't really noticed. In other words, yeah, there's things. They're barking dogs, but I'm on the train. I just hear their bark as I go by. As it goes by, it goes from a bark to a whimper. I can't, I don't even really notice. I, I want to live my life that I'm not so focused on the trouble. And there is trouble. Jesus said, you'll have trouble. He had trouble, but I'm overcoming the trouble in my faith. But I don't want to live my life focused on the trouble. I want to live my life focused on his goodness. We want to look at the end of the day and say, we've had a good life. A lot of other people might have died awful deaths. Not me. Not my kids. Not my kids. We don't get in in plane accidents and car accidents. We don't have people breaking in and hurting us and attacking us and trying to murder us and rape. No, 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 no. I'm covenant. I live a good life. My faith has an umbrella. My pastor's anointing has an umbrella over me and I walk in the sweet place. Dolce de Vito, whatever it's called. Sweet life. Amen. Have a look quickly now. Are you with me? I think I got you warmed up a little bit. And I got 35 minutes now that your engine's nice and hot. Chapter 23, verse 1. A, ver- a psalm you all know by heart, and the sinner knows it. I wonder if they'll be quoting it in hell. Because that's where they're going. You can memorize all the verses you want, but until you got Jesus in your heart, Psalm 23 means nothing. 
That only means something when the great shepherd is in you. Then it means something. It's not a little bedtime story that you tell your kids, which many secular people do. And it's sweet and nice, but, but that's not what it's for. It's for the believer. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> my pastor, remember? He's my pastor. And, he, and, he, and he's going to fulfill his pastoral duties in my life, directly in my prayer closet, but also through somebody with skin on. Because he can't do everything direct because that's not the way he organized it. He didn't organize it so that he would appear to every Christian around the world individually and teach them everything they need to know. His spirit teaches us, but he gives us people to teach us. The Lord is my shepherd, which obviously automatically means that there's an under shepherd involved. Now watch now, the very first thought and the biggest thought of the whole chapter is I shall not want. That means to lessen. That means to, to go backwards. That means to have a need. It means to have a lack. If God is, if you're born again and you're part of a church, because you've got to look at both types of shepherds. Remember he said, I give you shepherds according to my own heart. I am your shepherd. Jeremiah 3.15, I give you shepherds. I am your shepherd. First Peter 5 verse 4, I'm your chief shepherd. Now I give you shepherds. Verse 1 to 3. So when he says, I'm your shepherd, it's talking about both shepherds. You shall not want. That means you're not going to have lack. Remember he said you'll multiply and increase. Notice God keeps saying the same thing. If you get somebody in your life, I'll make sure things get better. I want you to get better, not worse. You're not going to have lack, need, or want. <laughs> Hallelujah. It means to decrease or to lessen. I don't want you lessening because the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. Hallelujah. The man said to Dad Hagen, when he preached, you can have what you say, Mark eleven twenty four. whatsoever things you desire. And he said that word desire means needs and wants. So the religious man come up to him after and said, you can't say that. God didn't promise us that we could have our wants. He only promised us we could have our needs. And he says, well, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not have any wants. Now that's not 100% accurate because it means I won't have lack. But Dad Hagen also used that from the perspective of it's not just what you need, it's what you want. And I won't have any wants not satisfied. But really the word desire in Hebrew Mark eleven twenty four, if you study it, it is very clear. It is not to break even. A desire is more than a need. I, I, I don't, I need legs to walk to church from Aaron. And if I walk, I'll have to leave at one in the morning to get here for 10. Now that's all I need. I need a sandwich to eat along the way. I need legs and I need a sandwich. That's all I need. But in our society, we say, no, you need transportation. Well, all I need is a bus, public bus. But I want my own car. You don't need it. That's a desire. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that we don't need. You don't need a suit, Nigel. All you need is skivvies and a t-shirt. That's all you need. A pair of shorts and a t-shirt. That's it. Greg? You don't need a haircut. We could let it turn into an afro. You don't need it. And that would be nice. We'd all like that but you desire to style your hair a certain way. Yeah. 
If you look at what you need, it's very base. God said, God said, whatsoever things you desire. That's what you need and what you want. I want to bless you. I want you to live the good high life. Praise God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Okay. He makes me, look at the next verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm giving you a word study here to help you. Lie down means this in the Hebrew. To crouch with all four legs bent under as a recumbent animal. Ever seen an animal? They kind of, and they, all their legs are underneath them and they're kind of nestled there. That's what the word means to lie down. It means you're not on your feet. It means you're not tired. It means you're resting. It is as a recumbent, it speaks of peace. The Lord, watch now, makes me. Makes me. If you're following the shepherd, Jesus, there, the, it, peace is not an option. Peace is, if I could say this way, it sounds like an oxymoron, forced upon you. You are going to be at peace. See, when you flow with what God's doing in your life privately in the local church, there will come a posture of rest in your life. He wants you and will force you if you're following him. This is not time to skip around to the lamb. This is time to rest. He makes me lie down. Now listen, rest and eat. Some of us need a little bit less eating and more resting. Rest and eat. He makes me lie down. That's a recumbent animal with its leg tucked underneath in a restful, peaceful posture. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. What's the point of the green pastures so you can eat? Now the word green, he's not taking me to a dry pasture with sticks and sand and thistles. Green speaks of lush abundance. So, there, so I want you to see when you're flowing with the shepherd and with the local church, peace and rest should be in your life. Amen. There should be a prospering. That's the greenness. Yeah. Now watch. Now I love this, Pastor Jenny. It says, it says pasture. And the word pasture, if you studied in the Hebrew, it means a home. Listen now. It means to feel at home. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. And it means a home that is pleasant, comfortable, and beautiful. Not some shack. Are you listening to me? God says, you follow me. I'm going to bring you rest. I'm going to bring you abundance as you rest. And I want church. Remember, because it's the under shepherd as well as the chief. I want church to feel like home. When you come in there, I want you to feel like you're with brothers and sisters sitting around a table. I want you to feel at home. I love that. The local church should feel at home. Notice it also says that the home should be beautiful and well furnished and appointed. That's why we're doing the special annual project. It's not just to get your money. It's to make this home look right. But now look at you. Now this is also a personal thing in your own home. It represents the local church, but it represents your personal life. If you're following Jesus, you should be at a place of peace. If you're not, something's wrong. Humble yourself and ask God where to make changes. There should be peace. There should be abundance. You know, shouldn't be eating sticks. Shouldn't be eating bologna sandwiches all the time. You should be eating abundance and your personal home should feel like home. Should be beautifully appointed. 
That doesn't mean all of you are there right now, but that is your goal. It should be clean. It should be lovely. I'm serious. Your home life reflects your spiritual life. If your home is a filthy place that you hate to go to, something is wrong. If you are a hoarder, something is wrong. Your church home should be a place that feels like home and should look beautiful. Your personal home, if you're following the shepherd, that's your pasture. That's where you're resting. That's where you're settling down. It should look beautiful. It should be beautifully appointed. And there should be luscious things, abundance of provision in that home. Furniture, right food, right amenities. This is God's plan. I'm trying to help you. People, I don't mock them. I actually give them more money than most people do. But people that are bums on the street, they don't understand. There's an evil spirit that's got a hold of their mind. That is not normal behavior because when you're following the shepherd, you have a home. You are at peace. Abundance and provision is sprouting in your life. I love it. Praise God. Now watch now. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. This word lead is an interesting word and it's very unique and it means for me to run ahead of you with sparkle. That's what it means in the Hebrew. It means, it's really, it means to sparkle means that I'm supposed to be happy. I'm getting there. And, and it means there's anticipation. Listen, you, lead, you make me lie down in green pastures. Now you lead me. So there's a, there's a, reset, there's a settling and a stopping. And now there's movement. That means we're, you're following Jesus and the under shepherd. But listen, the one who's leading you is supposed to lead with sparkle. I think that's a very unique way the Hebrew says it. Now leading you beside the what? Still waters. Sheep will not drink from fast moving water. They'll die of thirst first. It, they cannot it scares them. So the, the good shepherd knows that the way that the people are, they need it still. They, that doesn't mean the delivery can't be bold and strong because Jesus said with bold utterance. But it means the atmosphere in the church cannot be chaotic. That's why he said let everything be done decently and in order because the atmosphere for sheep to be refreshed. Grass is eating. Drinking is refreshing. Grass eating is the word. Refreshing the water is the spirit. When the spirit gets to moving, it's not, it's supposed to have still a peaceful flow, even if it gets exciting. When I'm with Pastor Nancy and there's sometimes unusual things happen and people are being a bit crazy, I check my spirit, but there's peace. You see, it's still waters because there's refreshing. But I've been in other services where it looks the same thing, but inside there's something wrong. I don't know what it is because there's more flesh than spirit being exhibited in that service. And there's, a, there's an uneasiness inside me. What does that mean? Waters are ruffled. Doesn't mean that we can't have a move of the Holy Ghost sometimes that is, uh, that is uh, exciting and vibrant. But it means in the realm of the spirit, in your spirit, everything that happens in this building should have peace in your spirit. Do you understand? If we're doing a wild Holy Ghost service, don't look at that as a ruffled waters. It's the waters of your spirit. They have to be at peace. You should always come to church knowing that you're safe. 
knowing that some weird doctrine, some weird person, some weird thing is not going to happen and, and be freaky and weird and demonic. No, no, no. That's ruffled waters. Sheep can't drink from that. Sheep need a place to feed in a restful posture and to drink of still waters, be refreshed of the spirit, but in a peaceful environment. Are you listening to me? It's very important. That's why some people don't understand why they leave churches, but it's their spirit is troubled. And they don't understand why, because things are happening that are not, that are out of divine order. And they can't understand it because they don't have words, they haven't been taught, but something's wrong inside. I don't know what it is, something's wrong. See, the waters are, are churning, and the sheep can't be refreshed that way. You've got to be in a place where there is a sense of peace when you walk in the door, and peace when you leave. You might be corrected, but there's still peace. We might have a fire tunnel and everybody sprawled out like I shot him with a shotgun, but there's peace in your spirit. Dr. Dufresne might jump chairs, but there's peace in your spirit. Do you understand? Peace, sheep need peace. I want this to be a place where you're completely safe. Hallelujah. Bold utterance, yet a sense of tremendous calm in your spirit that you trust the Holy Ghost is having his way according to the word. Amen. That's why it's so important who I bring in because I bring in the wrong ministers and they, and they disturb the waters. Yeah. Then I'm responsible. Yes. Do you understand? You still with me? Yes. Praise God. Notice the first thing that God says now. I want you to submit to the shepherd, Jesus and the under shepherd. And what's going to happen? You're going to have peace in your, in your word eating. You're going to have peace in your spirit refreshing. Praise God. Now, he restores my soul. This is still along the line of peace. It's starting a new verse, but the thought in the original language is the same as the previous verse. Really, it should say, he leads me beside the still waters, he restores my soul, period. And then he leads me in the paths of righteousness because the thought at the beginning of verse 3 is the same as the end of the verse 2 in the, in the Hebrew. Are you understanding? He restores. Now, you know what the word restore means in the Hebrew? It means to basically to reset. It means to retreat, cause your soul to turn back and retreat backwards. Now, that doesn't mean that you're backsliding. What it means is your soul being so wound, it goes backwards in a place of peace, not in a place of backsliding. To restore somebody's soul means to reset to help them not be wound tight, to help them become calm. It's the same element of the subject of the theme of peace. If he's restoring your mind, your will, and your emotions, he is resetting. That means if you've got wrong thinking, he is restoring you. He is washing your mind. It's the renewing of the mind, but it's also a peace that comes into your mind. A, 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 a resetting, so to speak, because the, the, the world system and life can be so hectic and so pressured and so da, 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 that you can sometimes feel like you, you come home and you're just like wired, but you get into that presence of the shepherd. You come into church wired, but when you leave, something in your soul should be calmed. Do you understand? He restores my soul. Notice how much he's interested in you feeding on the word, being refreshed by the spirit and your soul. Because the word feeds your spirit, but it also washes your mind. The refreshing of the spirit will help wash your thinking. Now he says, now I'm restoring your thinking. I'm getting you to think right. I'm, I'm restoring your soul. I'm resetting it to my standards. 
That's what a shepherd does. Now look, watch now. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. That just simply means guides me. But here, in my study, Jenny, I found something fascinating. I've always thought of paths of righteousness being like a path here and a path here. Well, there's more than one kind of righteousness. There's the righteousness that you get as soon as you receive Jesus. You become righteous instantaneously before God because of the blood. But then there's another kind of righteousness, which is better interpreted holiness or consecration. But you could also call it righteousness, which means as you continue on in your walk with Jesus, you need to become right in different areas. The one path of righteousness is instantaneous rightness because of his blood. That means you're going to heaven no matter what. But you can still not think right. You're going to think about women right. You're going to think about money right. You're going to think about work right. There's lots of things that you're not thinking right, even though your spirit is saved. But your mind is not saved. So as you go in that second path of righteousness or consecration or holiness, you are becoming more like Jesus by the renewing of the mind and by right thinking and right doing every day. And it's a journey for the rest of your life. So there's more than one path of righteousness. But I've always looked at them like parallel paths because that's what a a path is in my mind, is is a path that I walk. But when I studied it, I found that that's not what the author was talking about. What the author was talking about is that on top of a castle where there's parapet, those, those, those square things that you look out and there's, you know, there's space between them and the archers would shoot between those parapets. So can you picture the top of a castle with those parapets around it? But, but with every castle, it's a rampart. They call it a rampart. The rampart is the top, there's a path around the parapets that you can walk in a circle because you have to have a 360 degree for the archers and whatever they're doing to defend the castle or to look in. But it is a path, the, the rampart is the path. It's a fortified path, that's what it means. Around the top of a castle, a fortified path. So when I studied the word, you lead me in the paths of righteousness, the word paths means a revolving circular path around a rampart. What does it mean? God, listen to me, I'm helping you. God will fortify you, protect you by taking you on a path of right thinking and right living and you'll go around and around and around until you finally get it. It's not a path like I always thought. It means to revolve on a circular path around a rampart. A rampart, by definition, I looked it up in the Webster's, means a fortified path. God is saying to you, I I want you peaceful. I want your soul restored. I want you eating good of the word and and, of the natural. And I want you restful. I want it to feel like home. I want you with peace and calmness while you are refreshed by the spirit. That's all great. But now it gets deeper. Now that you've been eating a little bit and drinking a little bit and feeling at home, are you living right? You see, now he gets a little bit. Now, there's two words for lead. He leads me beside the still waters means to lead with anticipation and joy and come, come, spark, sparkle. (laughs) But the word, the next word lead, he leads me in the past. I just does not mean that. It's a totally different word for lead. And it means to lead people as colonists, people that are 
a colony that is being taking over a land or those going into exile. Now, you're not going into exile, but it's the same thought. In other words, when you're leading colonists in, when there's wild animals and enemies, there is a pensive, protective, watching, get in line. We're in wild territory. Quiet that baby. Get in line. You see, the leader is different. Look, water. Look, prayer service. Look, come, sparkle. That's one kind of leading. But there's another leading. God gets serious. It's not just that, although that's the part of it, but it's also live right. Think right. Be right in your sex life. Be right in your thinking. Be right in your money. Be right with your children. Be right with your spouse. Walk in love. Be right with the church. There is a thinking right. And in that capacity, it's not a, in that capacity, it's get in line. We're in wild territory. The devil's all around us. Sin and debauchery is everywhere. Carnality and darkness has permeated our society. We are in wild territory like colonists coming to to found land. Get in line. Stay put. Shut your mouth. Listen to me. I'm your leader. I'm protecting you from wild beasts. Do you see the difference in lead? He has that kind of an emphasis when it comes to right living. I am supposed to be the bright, light, sparkly guy about come to church. Be, have the flow of the spirit. Have the word. It's going to bless your life. But when it comes to you better live right. You better think right. You better do right. That is more militaristic. Like we're on a campaign. Don't play games here. Because if you do, the wild animal is going to get you. I think it's amazing. He leads me in the paths So a pastor, when he sees somebody, honey, went around the fortified path and they haven't changed, I lead them around again. And when they still don't get it, I lead them around again. And I'm going to keep leading. I don't get tired, Philippians 3, 1, to repeat things. It's not grievous for me, but it's for your safety. So I'm going to just keep going around and around and around the, the rampart, the fortified, protected path. On the top of that castle, I'm just going to go around and around with you on the righteous path until you start thinking right, talking right, living right. So part of my job is frolicking in the grass and the water. And part of my job is around and around. I'm taking you until you get right in your thinking and in your living. I think that's very important. You see, the sinner hasn't got right in the first pass of righteousness. So I go around and around and I preach the gospel of salvation until the sinner comes into the first path of righteousness, which is salvation. But now that he's in the first path, I go around and around the second path of righteousness, which is how to live right. So don't expect me to change the message because everybody is on a different level and some of you know it, so just rejoice. But others of you don't know it, so learn and glean. But when we talk about how to live right in a darkened society with wild, vicious beasts everywhere... It is a get in line, pay attention, and follow me on the path. Because we're going to live right. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Now notice, why does it say for his name's sake? What it means in the Hebrew is for his character's sake. Jesus has right character because he lives and does right. 
Right? We hold his name. Christ in. Little Christ. Because he is right. We must be right because we share names. Do you understand? For his name's sake. He's right. I hold his name. I have to be right. That's why he's going to lead me in paths. He'll lead me privately and my pastor will lead me. Praise God. So don't get tired of the fortified path. It is for your safety. Don't jump off and commit suicide. Don't decide the path is boring. And I need some excitement in church. No, the fortified path and getting right is what gives you longevity. Hallelujah. Now you're ready. The A though I walk, yea, though I walk through, I'm not camping, I'm walking. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So what does that really mean? Well, you know what? It's a better way of saying it's not said in English very well because it's not really a valley the way you think of a valley. The Hebrew word is gorge. Okay, and it's very specific, a gorge. Jenny and I have been there in Switzerland. We went through a gorge area, and the mountains were on both sides. Remember that, honey? And they went up hundreds of feet. And it's like you're in a very tight space, and on either side, it just goes sheer up. That's what it means in the Hebrew, a gorge, and it says with lofty sides, sides that go straight up. Now, if you've ever been in a gorge with high banking on both sides, like I mean high, if you notice, the only time it ever shines, it's ever bright, is when the sun is right over you. There is no shadow because the sun, there is nowhere to cast a shadow. You're in the middle of a gorge and there's mountains on either side of you. There is no, when the sun's over there, it doesn't penetrate, there is no shadow. Only when it's above you is there brightness. What this is saying literally is this. It means, though I walk through the gorge with lofty sides. Are you listening? With the shade of hell. When it says the shadow of death, it means shade more than shadow. Why? Because if you notice, there's no sun unless it's directly over you. There is no shadow being cast. But it's a shaded area. There's no, there's no light. It's all gray and kind of dark or what you could call shade. Do you understand? It's not that it's casting a shadow. You're in a perpetual state of shade. Now it says the shadow or the shade of death, of right, the shadow of death. But the Hebrew word means Hades or hell. It means when you are walking through a narrow place and everywhere you look, there are problems. And you feel like you are in the shade of hell itself. And everybody goes through times like that. I don't care about your confession. Everybody goes through. Now, your confession is what's going to get you out of it. But it's not probably going to prevent you all from getting into it. Because there are tests and trials God said to expect them.
This means it's not just some, I always picture like a beautiful valley, big open with, with trees and with, with beautiful flowers. And there's a couple mountains on the side and the sun is shining, but then I'm going past a tree and there's a little shadow and I'm just in that little shadow for just a few minutes and it feels like death, but then I'm right out from that tree and I'm back in the sunlight. That is not what it's talking about. It means you are in a gorge with problems so high you cannot scale them. And you are in a perpetual state of shade because there's no sun and it feels like hell itself. Now, now you know what it means. So when you're next in there, what you say is matters greatly. I shall not Fear, because in that place, fear is the first enemy that tries to get a hold of your mind. It could be medical walls. It could be financial crisis walls. It could be children walls. It could be marriage problem walls. But every wall brings fear. You need to remind yourself, I say it, I will not fear because the shepherd is with me. The Holy Ghost is on the inside of me. And he said, he'll never let me go. The valley, the gorge of the shade of hell. It's better than the valley of the shadow of death. It's the gorge of the shade of hell. The gorge of the shade of hell feels bad. But I've decided I'm not going to be afraid. Why can I not be afraid in this place where there's no sun? And it feels like there's no hope. And I don't know how long this gorge is going to last. Because he's with me. I'm not alone. My pastor is praying for me and Jesus is with me. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> I will fear no ear. For our truth. Now listen closely now. This is very important. Your rod and your staff, they console me. Now what does that mean? Rod means stick to beat the wolf. He doesn't use the stick on you. Staff means a walking aid or stick with a hook on the end, which is where he protects you. Listen to me. Are you listening? Because I've never seen this. God spoke to me. He said, son, when you're in that hard place, and my wife and I have many times been in the gorge of the shade of hell. Now listen to me. He said, when you're there, there are three things that you must really, four things that you must understand. Remember these things. Number one, watch what you say. Say, I'm not afraid. Number two, meditate that I'm with you and that you're not alone. Because you feel very alone when you're in those seasons. The devil will tell you you're alone and tell you that nobody loves you. Meditate that your pastor's praying and make sure you tell your pastor what you're going through so he can pray. And remember, Jesus is with you. Number three, listen now, receive correction. The rod, sorry, let me invert that. Receive protection first. And number four, receive correction. Because when you're in the gorge, God is going to protect you. The rod speaks of a protection against your enemies. But the staff speaks about correction in your personal life. The, the, the shepherd gets that sheep and pulls them away from wrongdoing and wrong thinking with the hook. When you're in a gorge, I promise you, you're going to need protection. God will defend you. You're going to use your authority. You're going to use your authority for your protection. And the power of God will back you. But listen, there's an element that a lot of people miss. When you're in a gorge, you need correction. 
You need it. Whether you open the door or not, you need, if there's anything hindering you from getting out of that gorge, it's better that God corrects you so you get out than you be proud and have a long haul. And the staff speaks of correction and the rod speaks of protection. When I'm, see, because I've got a shepherd. When I'm in this gorge of the shade of hell, I, number one, will be careful what I say. I will not be afraid. And I will confess that. I will, number two, be keenly aware that I am not alone. That my church family is with me in the spirit and Jesus greater than that is inside me. Number three, I will expect and use my authority and dominion for divine protection in that gorge. That's the rod of protection. And I will humble myself to receive the correction of the Holy Ghost in case I'm doing anything to extend my stay in the gorge of hell. I don't want to stay extended. I want to get out as fast as I can. And if he has to correct me with that staff, bring it on, Jesus, but get me out of this. That's very important. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now, it's very interesting. The word prepare in the original language does not mean the way you think it does, just setting up a table. I think it's interesting because it says in the presence of enemies. But you know what the word prepare in the Hebrew means? It means to set food in arrangement like you would set the battle in array. It means to set cutlery in arrangement like you would prepare troops for war. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Meaning, listen, this is very important. God is bringing a war militaristic element into the way the food is prepared on the table. Because enemies are encircling the table. Do you see that? What does that mean? Listen, very important. When you come to church... When you go to your study time in your prayer closet and you come to church corporately, you need to attend the banquet of spiritual food prepared for you by the office with a militaristic mindset. That's what it's trying to say. You don't come here, whatever, just do your thing and I'm here. Be happy I'm here, pastor. (sighs) That is not a militaristic attitude. It means you come And you are ready to receive food, aware enemies, aware war. This is important sustenance to me. I partake aware that this is protecting me and giving me weaponry against my foes. And I come with a sober mind, not a lax, lazy, bump on a log mind. I come with an, an awareness This is war. There are enemies trying to kill me. There's sickness trying to kill me. There's demons trying to kill me. When I come to church, it's not for fluff. It's for me to sit there and receive the bounty of God. But I'm receiving with the thought process, pastor prepared this in a way like you prepare troops for battle. Pastor prepared this in a way for me to eat it, that it would save me in the war. And the enemies watch me while I eat. And I look up every now and then and I say, go ahead and watch. Cancer, watch me. I eat the bread of healing. Black, watch me. Yeah, you lack over there. You foul little imp. Look at me while I eat. See, I'm not eating lazy. I'm eating intentional with a sober mind. When I come to the table, it's to save me in battle. 
That is what it says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You eat because you're about to fight. Are you with me? It's not the buffet in Barbados. There are times where it's just calm. You get to sit in your hammock. Remember, you're supposed to be in the pasture and by the water. There's peace. He starts with the peace. But then he moves on to living right. And then he moves on to, by the way, there's enemies. Now, when you're in the gorge, this is what you do. Now you're coming. Enemies are watching you. Sickness watches you. Demons that have got your number, they watch you. Uh, Vices, sins of the flesh, they're waiting. Enemies watch you. When you come to eat, come to eat with the mindset of, I have to come to church. Wednesdays, it's not really an option for me. Because there's a battle. And I have enemies. And I must come and feed when the door is open and the table is set. And the pastor stands behind that pulpit. That is my chance to come with a military mind and say, this is sober and serious. While I have peace, I'm also smart. I know the enemies are watching. I am going to partake of this food as a weapon against my foes. That's why if you're missing Wednesday night, you're a fool. I'm not saying it to manipulate you. I'm telling you as a pastor, listen to me. The anointing you need on a Sunday is not the only anointing in this church. There is a different anointing on Wednesday night. You need that anointing to give you food for battle. Dad Hagen said all his life, it seems like the ones that show up more have more victory. It seems like the ones that show up more have more victory. Why? Because when you show up, you get food to sustain you in the fight. And you will have more victory the more you come. If you can't come because of your work, believe for the shift to change. And while you're believing, watch the live stream afterward if you have to. But make sure you partake because the feeding is sustaining power for war. And whether you believe it or not, we're in a war. You're around sinners all day long. You're in a war. You don't even realize it. They're trying to encroach their filth on you, their stupidity on you, their delusion on you. You need the feeding. That's all I'll say. Praise God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. (laughs) And I watch this one. I'm almost done. Thou anointest, oh, one of my favorites. Thou anointest my head with oil. Now, God started talking to me about this anointing thing far more than any other point. And I'm just going to read you some things because it really blessed me. Do you realize, which I didn't until I studied it, that uh, there are certain flies and lice, especially flies, that like to come to natural sheep, I'm talking, that will try to go up their nose and lay their eggs and larvae in the, in the nasal cavity of the sheep. When they hatch, the worms, the larvae, crawl into the sheep's brain and it makes the sheep go crazy. And the sheep can feel something in its head And it doesn't know how to get it out. And it will start banging its head against trees. And this is a fact. This is fact. And if a shepherd sees the sheep banging its head against a tree, you might as well put the sheep down. 
Because it will bang itself to death. Because it can't get the thing out of its brain. Are you listening? So you know what the answer is? They put oil on the sheep's snout. And it stops those flies and lice from going in and laying their eggs. Biting mosquitoes will burrow through the fur and bite the skin of the sheep. And so the shepherd puts oil on the skin of the sheep because mosquitoes hate oil. Flies hate oil. Lice hate oil. Snakes in Palestine would hide in two places, holes in the ground or in under bushes and also in the trees. And many times they'd gone down and the only part of a sheep that a snake can bite is its face. Its fangs can't get through the fur. Do you understand? So they would come and they would bite the sheep on the snout. But snakes hate oil. I mean, it's natural, but it's got such a spiritual significance. Demons are flies. Jesus said the devil is the lord of the flies. Demons, lice, biting insects, which speak of demonic attack, they hate the anointing. Snakes and devils and the devil himself wants to get on you. He'll go at your vulnerable spot, but he hates the smell of oil. So when the shepherd, notice now, are you listening? I'm trying to help you. A sheep can't put oil on itself. You've got to be in the presence of the chief shepherd and the anointing comes on you from Jesus. You've got to be in the local church and the anointing from that office of the pastoral anointing comes on you. But with that oil on you, you'll see demonic powers will lose their sway. Biting insects, things, listen to me, demons get in people's minds. You'll see that anointing will keep things from laying eggs and having them hatch and go into your brain and drive you crazy. I mean, it's a natural thing with the sheep going crazy in the mind. But in, this, but in our life, people can have demons that get into their thinking and they, lose, they start going crazy in their thoughts. And if you've ever had struggles in your thoughts where it's demonic, you know what I'm talking about. But the anointing oil... See, thou preparest a table before me that is the feeding of the word. See, word and spirit, it's all the way through the Bible. Now you anoint me with oil that is the anointing and the moving of the spirit. The word receiving in a militaristic, sober, aggressive way and the Holy Ghost influence and flow and anointing that spirit coming on you. Between the word and the spirit, your enemies that are present cannot touch you. The flies and the demons can't get into your thinking. The snakes can't bite you. They can't sting you. That anointing oil. When you're around Jesus, the anointing of God will be a part of your life. When you're around the local church, that anointing will be a part of your life. Also, when there was cuts and abrasions and scrapes, they would apply oil because it helped it to heal faster. Are you listening to me? So when you've got hurts, it doesn't just protect you from darkness. When you've got hurts, the anointing from Jesus and from that office of the pastor will get into those hurts. Those hurts from way, way back in your childhood and those hurts from yesterday and those hurts from last week. And when somebody wounded you and somebody mistreated you and those pains and you feel inflamed, that precious anointing oil 
will heal you. So number one, the anointing protects you. Number two, the anointing heals you. Number three, the anointing helps you walk in love. This is very fascinating, Greg. I did not know this till I studied it. There's so much about sheep. That's why God calls us sheep. Do you know that sheep get in fights a lot? With other sheep? Sheep are very aggressive. They, they get annoyed easily. Especially male sheep. But all sheep. Now listen, it got so bad that what in the old days, what they would do when they would get upset with each other, they'd butt heads. And it caused wounding, bruising in the head cavity. So you know what the shepherd figured out? I'm going to douse their head with oil. When, no, seriously, this is a fact. This is a fact. I'm not making this up. And when the sheep would go at each other, their heads would glance off each other instead of make contact hard because the oil made it slippery. And so for infighting among the sheep so they don't get brain damage because they're beating each other up all the time, the oil on the head causes the friction to be reduced. The anointing will protect you. The anointing will heal you. The anointing will help you like other people in the church and not butt heads and hurt each other because the anointing will make you sweet. I'm telling you, I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. I'm almost done. And the last thing, which I did not realize either until I studied it, is that when it says, thou anointest my head with oil, there's an element here, Rob, that is very precious. Do you know there's different cultures? For example, the Japanese greet each other with a bow from the waist, <clears throat> palms on their thighs and heels together. <laughs> the deeper the bow, the greater you are. Uh, the Indian people touch the feet of the elderly as one example, like grandparents in a show of honor. That's how they greet. Uh, in France, my grandmother did this all the time, all my life. She's from Mauritius, which is a French colony of France. They greet each other with a double kiss. Sometimes in some cultures, a triple kiss, like they had to do one extra. <laughs> Cambodian people put their hands together in front of you, and the higher the hands, the more respect they have for you. But you know, in the Jewish culture, the way you greeted somebody, the way you welcomed somebody, you poured oil on their head. Wow. That was the way. You poured oil on their head and you provided a basin for their feet to be washed because of the dust. And the higher you respected them, you would volunteer to wash their feet. So when Jesus walked into the Pharisee, the religious person, I'm somebody. I know the Bible. When he walked in, he said, you didn't greet me. You didn't anoint my head with oil and you didn't wash my feet. But this woman, this sinner woman, she washed my feet with her tears and she anointed them with the spike heart ointment. Remember that? Yes. Jewish custom is to anoint the head with oil. And I'm saying, I was praying about it. I said, Lord, because the Lord said, I want to talk to you about this. There's another thing the anointing does. And I couldn't figure it out. And then he spoke to me and he said, listen to me. He said, when I said, I'll anoint your head with oil, it means I'm welcoming you into my house now listen to what this means. This is very important. When you came into a Jewish person's house and they anointed your head, do you know what that means? That means, I'm, I'm not making this up. You can study this yourself. It means you are my responsibility. 
You're just my guest. It means I have to protect you. Remember when they came in the house, Lot, the angels came in? He said, they are my guests. I must protect them from the men outside that wanted to rape them. And he said, won't you take my daughters? He had to protect because the guest, when anointed with oil, is the responsibility of the host for protection. Mikasa isukasa. It's more than my house is your house. It's I am responsible for you. Listen, when God, what is God saying? He's saying, come here. Sheep, come here. I'm going to anoint you. When I anoint you, when you're in church and that anointing is coming on you, when you're in your prayer closet and that anointing is, what he's saying is, it's very symbolic. He's saying, I take ownership of you. You're mine. I will protect you with my life. Because as long as you're in this house, I'm responsible. When that anointing comes on you, it's like God saying, you're mine. You're never going to be alone again. You're in this house. It's the pastor saying, you're mine. You're not alone. I protect you. I take responsibility for you. I will pray for you. I will feed you. I will help guide you. It's Jesus saying, you are not alone. I take personal ownership and I will protect you from anything outside this house. The anointing will protect us from demons. The anointing flies, bugs, mosquitoes, biting insects, snakes. The anointing heals us. The anointing makes us love each other more. And the anointing causes us to realize that we're not alone. That God owns us. And that he will protect us. Thou anointest my head with oil. Now what happens after you've been in that word of the, of the table and that anointing, the word and the spirit? What happens? My cup. What happens? You can't be around the word and you can't be around the spirit and receiving all this without something getting better in your life. My cup runs, runs over. My cup doesn't just go to the brim. It starts to overflow. I got so much, I don't know what to do with it. Man calls the the grape juice running over down the table, down the floor as waste. God calls it abundance. If God was against it, why did he say your cup should run over? You should have more than what you need. You should have more than what your life can handle. You should have extra for others. Extra to be a blessing. It runs over, not for it to be wasted, but for you to catch it in another cup and give it away. If you've been around the Word, and if you've been around the Spirit, and if you're anointed, and if you're feeding on God's Word, privately and publicly, there will be an overflowing. And if there's not, ask yourself why, because it's a spiritual law, it has to work. If it's not, it's something on your side. It's not something on God's side. Woo, glory. And finally, oh, I love the last one. Surely goodness and mercy. What did Moses, what did uh, Moses tell the people and Aaron tell the people? For the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. They would sing, for the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Notice it says the Lord is good. And it's now it says goodness and mercy. But who is good? The Lord. So we could say the Lord's goodness and mercy will follow me. Follow me. Not just this week, 
but as long as I breathe oxygen. Did you notice it didn't say I'm searching? The goodness speaks of financial increase. And mercy means kindness. Notice it didn't say I'm following the goodness. What, 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 where, where are you going? I'm ending. Where are you going with this, Pastor Craig? It didn't say that you're following. The target in your life is not the money and the increase and the goodness. What does it say here? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what the word dwell means? It means to settle in. It literally in the Hebrew means to sit down. Your job is to focus on sitting down, submit, that's submission and humility, and settling in in your relationship with Jesus, and sitting down and settling in in your relationship with your local church. Your job is to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's your target. You don't look for anything else. You look for that. God said, if you do that, I'll make sure the goodness follows you. And the mercy follows you because the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. But you focus on my house and I'll make sure that all the other stuff you want follows you. Seek the Lord, remember, and his righteousness. Seek God, seek his house, want to be right, want to serve him, want to be right before him. You do that and all these things will add unto you. Matthew 6, 33. Your job is not to run after the rays. Your job is to run after church. Your job is to run after your prayer closet. Your job is to run after Jesus. He'll make sure the rays follows you. Are you listening? The world has it opposite. They run after what they think is the goodness. They don't even have God and the devil doesn't have any goodness. So they run after money. And God's saying to you, I want goodness to flow on you. I want you to be increased. I want you to be, I want to be kind to you. That's mercy. I want to be loving to you. I want to shower you with blessings. But son, if you follow that, it doesn't work. Just focus on settling in my house. Just focus on seeking me with all your heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Focus on that. Then all these things will add and then all this goodness will follow you. When goodness follows you, you don't have to apologize for it. <laughs> Somebody says to me, well, you got a plane. I don't believe in preachers with planes. One of my family members said that to me. I just look at them and I say, was my idea. I didn't even want it. It followed me. I can't stop the dog from following me. The dog won't let me go. God just, it follows me. Goodness follows me. My job is not to try to acquire things. The house followed us. All my job was is to listen. The Holy Ghost said it's time to buy a house. Really? I'm happy where I'm at. Jenny wasn't, but you know, she had a, a drive of faith to go further, but all my faith was being used up for the church. I didn't have any faith for our home. She had the faith for our home. God will use you differently. But he said, it's time. Your wife's got the faith for it. Just don't dis get in disagreement with her. So for about six months, I just didn't get in disagreement, but I wasn't really in agreement. Then finally, God said, now get in agreement with her because I can't do it with her. You need to be in agreement. We got an agreement and, and we just, we're, just, we're just seeking God. We're just seeking prayer. We're just seeking church. I'm, seeking, I'm just seeking to be around who I'm supposed to be around. The house followed me. He said, turn around. There it is. 
First house we looked at. First house. The, the, the guy, our realtor, Muslim. He said, that's not possible. You don't, you don't buy the first house you see. He said, I have to take you to more houses. I said, why? God said, this is the house. No, no, no. You don't know God. No, 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 no. God, no, no, no. He said, I can't take the commission in a good conscience if I haven't done a job. I said, you can have the commission. I don't need you to do a job. God says it's a house. No, 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 no. God, no, that doesn't do that. I said, that's your God doesn't do that. My God does that. Allah don't bless you nothing. But Jesus bless you big time. It was a testimony to him. He forced me to go to five other houses. I did a kicking and screaming. And I, and I told him, we can go, but wasting our time. That's our house. Oh, no, 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 no. I have to do my job or I can't take the commission. So we looked at the five houses and I just said, no. One of them, I didn't even walk in. I just said, no, let's go. No, I just looked at it. I said, no, let's go. But what did I already told you? The house follows me. The house followed me. I'm focused on God, not on things. The house followed me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're focusing on God and the glory center follows us. It follows us. We don't have to worry about it, fret about it, figure it out. Uh, we just focus on serving God. Seek God with all your heart and his righteousness. All these things are going to follow you. Uh, I, I, goodness mercy, going to follow you forever, all the days of your life. Your job, settle in, dwell, take a permanent residency in my house. Your job is seeking me in my house. My job is to get things to you. If you get the right order, you'll find you'll never, you'll never run dry. <laughs> you say, but my salary doesn't pay enough. And who said that's your only source of income? God has ideas. God has inventions. God has businesses. God has investments. God has people that he can use to help you. Just keep your pure motive and focus on him and the good will follow. See, I'm, I'm not against the prosperity message, but I'm against the prosperity message in, the, in many of its current forms. We want prosperity. We believe in prosperity, but it's got to come the right way. Like Dr. Dufresne said, get rich God's way, not your way. Your way is to, I won't come to church because I've got to get another job because I've got to get more money. That's the wrong way. You'll never get wealthy that way. You'll get wealthy by focusing on him and his house and trusting him and he'll get, cause ideas favor job promotions transfers increases raises he'll he new businesses investments gifts pentecostal handshakes he's got a lot of ways to get it to you your job focus on that it follows me i don't follow it you see you got to get the right attitude and then god will make you remember he said i don't mind my people being rich i don't want them covetous i don't want them greedy and money-minded but if you learn to follow my spirit I'll make you rich. So we've seen in this beautiful psalm, there is so much about peace and rest. There's so much about living right. There's so much about feeding on the word as weaponry against your enemies, about being anointed of God to protect you and heal you and comfort you and let you know you're not alone and to like you love people. All because he wants you to focus on him and let the other stuff follow you. Hallelujah. Goodness and mercy shall follow, I, I confess it, all the days of my life. And I will dwell and settle in the house of my God. That means my prayer closet and the local church, 140 Capitol Court, forever. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your goodness to us. I thank you for the under shepherd and the chief shepherd. I thank you for the anointing of the pastoral office. I thank you that you've given them pastors according to their, your own heart, Lord, to feed so that they would be multiplied and increased in the land.
And I thank you, Father, that this Psalm 23, which is called the Shepherd Psalm or the Pastor Psalm, let this be a true blessing in their hearts today. Father, let them sense and pick up what the Spirit of God is saying to them. That this is a moment this morning to re reassess things in our life. To reassess priorities. That if there's an upheaval, there should be peace. If we're feeding on the Word and being refreshed in the Spirit, there should be peace. That, Lord, we may be going round and around the rampart of righteousness, but we're going to go until we get it. That, Father, our enemies, our valley is there, but your correction and your hand and your protection is right there with us. You'll never leave us. Our enemies might surround us, but we're feeding on the Word to overcome them. And we're anointed of the Spirit. And our cup is running over. And we're focusing on you. And the blessings and the goodness will follow us. We love you today. Let this be a rich blessing and feeding in their hearts. Lord, there's a hundred subjects I could preach on this morning, but you spoke to me and said, preach on I am the good shepherd. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for a word in season. For the hearts that are hurting today, for the situations that seem bleak, that seem like the gorge of the shade of hell. I thank you, Father, that you're with them and that they're not going to be abandoned. They're going to come through that valley. Father, we've been feeding at your table. There may be enemies around us, but we are feeding and sustaining ourselves with weaponry of heaven so that we know how to handle those enemies. And we're not afraid. We thank you for that precious anointing that protects us and heals us and covers us. We thank you that you own us. And we're in your care and you will protect us as your guest in your home. We thank you, Jesus, for the goodness of God that is following us today. And our life is getting better because the path of the righteous grows brighter. In Jesus' name.